Would you please join with me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Holy God, before all time you named us, and through time you have redeemed us. You call us, and we are precious in your sight. Open the words of the scriptures today so that we might see your light and in its reflection know of your love for us. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you have denied me three times. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This good word and this time together. As I mentioned, uh, I'm Pastor Thea. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, but most of you know, I've actually only been here a little while. It's just been two months since I started my appointment here in July. And in that time, I've gotten to get to know you. Who Chapelwood is? Who are the people that make up this community? What are your gifts and talents? How is God at work in you? And I have to say, that is really fun. And in this time, I'm also having to let you get to know me, get to know my gifts and talents, maybe the ways that God is moving in me. And I have to admit that that one is a lot more difficult. Because you see, if I'm going to show up authentically, I have to be willing to be vulnerable and let you get to know the real me not just meet your expectations, not just be whoever it is that you hoped and wished and thought that I would be, but instead show up fully and authentically me with my gifts and graces, but with that also come a lot of flaws. But no matter who we are as we're getting to know each other, no matter what we've done or will do or all the ways that together we might make mistakes. That is not who we are, for we are a community defined and drawn together by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And before we go any further in our message today, I would like to first stop and pray. Will you pray with me? 
Good and almighty God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this place and this space, this opportunity to gather together to worship your holy name and to be in real community. Thank you, Lord, for your very breath that is in our lungs, which gives us life. And because of this willingness you have to extend so much of yourself to us, we can also trust that when we seek you, we find you. When we listen for you, Lord, we will hear you. And God, whenever we find the courage to somehow and some way take just that very next step in faith, you will always lead. And so we lay down our own desires and our own will and instead try and follow your ways. And it's in your heavenly and perfect name that we pray. Amen. Parenthood is difficult. It's a lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of money. Some might say there's even a little agony. From the trauma of childbirth to those very first years when your child needs you for every single thing, and then they begin to walk and talk and move on their own and make decisions that you really wish they wouldn't. And it doesn't stop when they grow up and leave the home, even raising children of their own. They can still bring agony, worry, fear, and frustration. And yet despite the trouble, despite all the work and how hard it is, all parents are willing to give in to this agony, not for their own glory, not to earn some sort of parental award, because there actually is no real mother or father of the year. And let's face it, with all of our flaws, none of us would earn it. We don't do this thing called parenting for our own praise, for our own accolades, for our own glory, but for our children, right? I haven't given birth or raised young people, but I am a step-parent, and I would say even step-parenting comes with a little bit of agony. But everything we do for our children, all the love and the worry, it's for their well-being, for their health, for their happiness, for their educational opportunities, for the hope that their lives will be great. Ultimately, we're willing to sacrifice for their glory. Our scripture begins today with Jesus talking about glory. And not his own, of course, but the glory of God. And Jesus also knows something about agony. Our scriptures start with Judas has just left the room. Judas, that's one of Jesus' disciples, one of his followers, one who claims that he is Lord, and yet he has just left the room to go and give up the location of their sacred space, to go and turn Jesus over to the Jewish elite who only have plans 
of negativity. And Judas trades this valuable information for a small bag of coins, worthless in the long run. And that night, Jesus will be attacked. He will be arrested. He will be mocked and yelled at. He will be spit on and hit, all for being who he is and refusing to claim to be anything different. And in fact, he will have some sort of mock trial with no representation, no witnesses. And then he will be sentenced to death or the reality of who he is. But before that, he will be beaten with a leather whip that has small metal balls attached to it to be sure to draw that red blood and appease the crowd who yells, crucify. And he will be crucified. In fact, he will have to carry his own cross weak from the beatings. And then his hands will be nailed into that cross. And he will hang just outside the public square until it's his own very breath that releases him from this torturous and awful agony, not for his glory. And yet, as Jesus knows, this is what is ahead as Jesus knows exactly what is awaiting him, exactly what is in store for himself and for his disciples, he does not take this time to devise a plan. He doesn't plot a scheme to disappear, to fight back, or even to, uh, to avenge his own name. But instead amidst all of this that is yet to come, Jesus gives his disciples a new command. He says, I give you a new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. And this is how you will be known to be mine. Now let's not forget the burden of law that these Jewish disciples are already under. There are over 600 Jewish laws written down in our Old Testament text but also there have been interpretations by modern-day rabbis who have extended those laws and rituals in a way to uphold the righteousness of God. And it's this adhering to the laws that would not only be some sort of effort to gain worthiness, to be in relationship with God, to gain protection and provision, but it's these laws that also tell the rest of the world just how righteous God is, and at bare minimum, give the Jews some righteousness by association. And despite those burdens, despite the impossibility of keeping up with all of these laws, Jesus gives them a new command. Because let's face it, they are all entering into a new era, a new reality that they have not yet seen. And so he gives a new command. How many of you like rules? I actually tend to say no that I don't, but if I'm being honest, I really like structure. I really like process and procedures. I love a good policy. And 
I always want the exception to break that rule and structure when I deem necessary. That's probably a character flaw I shouldn't be revealing to you, but I'm working on that authenticity. As we have been living in a COVID reality, we have had lots and lots and lots of rules. And let's face it, they've changed a lot. I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be so frustrated if we just set and kept the same rules that we had since the very beginning. I don't know if you remember, but early, early in the pandemic, back when we were in that kind of mandatory stay at home, there was actually recommendation to not wear a mask. Now, I think that was probably to save us from going out and buying them all up like we did with the toilet paper and keeping some mask available for our health workers. But then fast forward to the fall of 2020, and then there was a recommendation to wear two. And now with vaccine accessibility and availability, the rules had changed again, where it was more safe if you were outside or with people who were vaccinated, but then there are breakthroughs and we're back to a new set of rules and recommendations. And let's face it, sometimes it can be confusing. But just as the disciples were entering into a new era that was pretty confusing, scary, and overwhelming, they are given a new command to love. What might it be like if we responded in love to COVID-19 too. We just gave out Bibles and talked about how important this holy scripture is. So let's look at it as a guide to how are we to love. I'm gonna to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if this ver these verses were read at your wedding, you know them well. You may also know them if you've been to a wedding before where they probably were read also. These are great words to share for a newly married couple, but it's also good words for all of us on how we are to love in real relationship with one another. Scripture tells us love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. What might happen if the next time we see somebody not following the COVID rules that we think they should follow, that we responded with patience. Patience to let them catch up to the right way of thinking. Patience to be where they are in their thinking. Even the patience and kindness to lean in and ask some questions. What has led you to this belief? What has led you to this practice? Not listening for ways that we can prove them all wrong and convert them over to our right mentality, but even just listening with patience and kindness that lets them be, even if they're different from you and me. Scripture goes on to say, that love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. 
The truth is we have more access to the more information than we've ever had before. And despite the fact that our coronavirus reality is new, there is more information on it than we could probably ever consume or keep up with. And next time that you see an article or a headline or a commentary that frustrates you or angers you or even makes you afraid, what might it be like to stop and pause and rejoice instead in the truth? The truth that you know that cannot be wavered. The truth that you know cannot be used to manipulate and to, and to get, get gain or to simply educate. The truth of what is truly in your heart, of what you know to be true, that cannot be changed in the past year or two and this reality that we're facing. Furthermore, Scripture goes on to say, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I have to say that is my favorite part. To hope is to trust that something better is coming. To endure is to persevere, to not get caught or stuck in the gloom and doom, confusion and fear of this longest lasting Saturday afternoon, but to trust that the glory is coming on Sunday morning. That we will not, this is not the end. This is not how it all is over for us, but instead that there is a resurrection and redemption coming greater than anything we could imagine. What might happen if we trust in that? What if we stop praying to, to, praying to slow the spread or find the best way to treat the disease, but let's pray for an end to COVID-19. Let's get on our knees every night and pray for the Lord to intervene in a majestic and holy and magnificent way that only God can do. And let us believe in this truth. Let us hold to this. Let, it, let, us, let this endure us through whatever is still ahead. And beyond that, let us no longer be distracted or divided by this enemy's tool to pull us away from what we are truly called to do, which is to preach the gospel truth, that God is a God of love, of redemption and renewal, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. Let us hold to this glory, not get sucked into the tragedy and devastation, but instead hold to the fact that love endures. In that room with Jesus, in that room with the disciples as he knows everything that is still ahead, and as he's laying it on in a pretty thick and heavy conversation, Peter speaks up. He's the first to question. He's the first to push back, and I wonder how his voice might have sounded. Did it tremble? Did it crack? As he was nervous about what Jesus was really saying, he might have even asked so boyishly, Lord, where are you going? And then I imagine after he hears his own voice out loud, as he has just revealed his vulnerability and his fear, he might have borrowed some ego and proclaimed, pro proudly proclaimed, Lord, I will follow you to the ends of the earth, 
Wherever you go, I will follow you. I will even lay down my life for you. And Jesus, knowing all things, looks at Peter and says, Will you? Will you? Will you really? Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? No, Peter, you won't. Peter, you are so eager. You are so excited. You're always the first to speak, jumping in the front, even sometimes jumping in front of me, trying to tell me that my ways are not the right way. No, Peter, you will deny me three times this very night. And you will go on to deny me several more times, Peter, you will deny me. Peter, you will fail. I have to admit, I love Peter. Definitely my favorite disciple, if not one of my favorite characters in all of our Holy Scripture. And I love Peter because I can relate. I am often very eager. I am very excited. I am enthusiastic. I am more than willing to step out in front and lead the way even when I know that I am wrong. I have a tendency to be blind to all the signals that tell me I'm not in the right, but continue on that path anyway because, hey, I've already started it. And maybe you are the same. Or maybe your failures are different. Either way, Jesus knows. Just like Jesus knows Peter's pending denial, just like Peter, Jesus knows all my pending flaws and faults, Jesus knows ours too. As I was reading this text, I started to wonder, how come Jesus didn't ask the disciples to go with him to the cross? Why weren't they spending that time plotting a plan of revenge? Why, weren't, why didn't he ask them to surely lay down their lives, surely make a big, bold, large statement, not just to the Jewish elite, but to the Roman rulers and really to everyone, just how committed they were? Why didn't he go ahead and make them pay for all of their mistakes that they had made before and all those that were come? Why didn't he make them go to the cross with him? Because there's just one. One body, one blood, and in that we are all made free. You see, friends, this is the good news. To be Christian is to be free, to be redeemed, to know that we do not have it all right. Yes, we are judgmental and hypocritical and sometimes can be perceived as being all together and perfect or at least thinking that's who we are supposed to be. But to call yourself a Christian is to be redeemed, to know that you are not the sum of all the things that you do well nor all of the things that you do wrong, but instead you are made new, washed clean and renewed into a real and righteous relationship with God, not because of your worth, not because of what you've done, not because you have rightfully earned it, but because Christ has given it to you freely. This is what redemption means, to know that we are full of mistakes, that we will continue to fall all along the way, that we will not love one another as we have been commanded to do, and yet still we are free. For Christ is the one who sets us free.
a righteousness the law could never give us. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be free, to love God and to follow God with our whole hearts. Is this who you are? Is this who you're known to be? Is this what you believe? Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, loving, wonderful God. In our love for you, Lord, we do try so hard. We are eager and willing. There are days where we could not imagine denying your name or your commands, and yet, Lord, still we will fail. Lord, while we live in the travesty of today and the pending agony of tomorrow, pull us to your truth that you are always working for good, that it is in your righteousness that your glory would be revealed, and that God, despite all of our mistakes, all of our flaws and all the ways we will continue to not be enough, that you would still choose to do your good work in us. Lord, remind us of your words. Pull us closer to you. Redeem us over and over again as we willingly offer our lives to you, as we seek and accept this beautiful grace that you give so freely, this grace that truly sets us free and redeems us into a right and holy and righteous place with you, our God. Amen.